frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm going to make him an offer again with you. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Film church. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Dawn was always a sacred time for prayers. They called the sun grandfather, the moon mother, fire father. They call it the flower moon when tiny flowers spread over the blackjack hills and the prairies, and many, so many. It's as if Wa looked upon the earth, smiled, and sprinkled it with sugar candy. Hello, and welcome to Film Church Radio. This is the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday. I'm Brandon. I'm Lewis. And we're here to talk about movies. Each week, Lewis and I alternate picking a film for us both to watch and discuss. And this week, I picked Killers of the Flower Moon from this year, which is currently in cinemas and soon to be streaming on Apple TV+. Plus, Is it Apple TV+. Plus? Or just Apple it's, TV. It's Apple. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's you know what we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> this film is directed by Martin Scorsese, starring Lily Gladstone, Robert De Niro, and Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cinema. It's our religion. What does that mean? It means that we go to sacred, holy cinemas and worship films um it means that we expand our minds with uh studying film trying to understand what we consider sacred texts of cinema uh we study the gods of cinema um and martin scorsese is one of the gods of cinema um, put a stamp on cinema history, uh, revived cinema history time and time again, um, done a lot of his own preaching in terms of uh, trying to get old films uh, back into the public and restoring them and making sure they're preserved. Uh, so... Of course, Killers of the Flower Moon was going to be a watch for us. Um, we didn't necessarily, we weren't, we hadn't even talked about picking Killers of the Flower Moon for an episode of Film Church. We had just, you know, both gone to see it. And after the 100th episode, I was like, I don't know what to pick next. And I knew we had both seen Killers of the Flower Moon. We hadn't talked about it yet. So I was just like, let's, let's go there. Are you glad that we're going there? I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> Any reason to talk about Scorsese is, you know, thumbs up from me. Sweet. Um, so we're going to get into it here in a bit in our feature presentation sermon section. Uh, that's coming up. But first, we want to say thanks to everybody who participated in our 100th episode last week. Love you guys. Really appreciate y'all sending in your audio clips and um, telling us your favorite horror films. Last month was all Darnish Horror Month, so we had five Sundays last month. We got to do five horror films, so go check those out. 
Um, and thanks everybody else. If you want to send in uh, questions or anything, please do. You can find us on social media. You can send us a DM. Send us an audio clip if you want. Whatever, whatever it is, whatever way you like to communicate, you can communicate through prayer, through whatever. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, we're on Film Church Radio on all the social medias. You can go to filmchurchradio.com. Um, and that's where you can find our podcast page. And we also have merch finally so you can get a you know cool snapback hat a hoodie a mug um a shirt uh yeah so you can get you some swag if you want to um links to everything in the show notes below um and uh yeah now it's time for our trailers aka hymns <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of funny how it works like that like you don't think about the the parallels between you know if you're just a casual moviegoer or even a yeah. super moviegoer like yeah there's so many parallels between going to the cinema and going to church it's kind of funny including yeah. the like build up to the movie yeah you know yeah. Popcorn and soda, there's your communion. You know. yeah. <laughs> and if you're yeah. going with a big family, you're passing it around, you know. Yeah. Passing around. Telling plate. other people in the cinema to be quiet is the peace be with you part. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um so yeah, so this is the this is the section where Lewis and I will talk about other movies we've been watching this week other than our main feature. Um, but we do have a question sent in from Andy. So you want to get into the question first? Yeah, let's do the question cool. first. Um, Andy sent us an email. He says, Father Lewis and Father Brandon, I was listening to your Psycho episode and the conversation around Vince Vaughn playing Norman Bates in the 1998 remake particularly piqued my interest as a huge horror movie fan i've seen a trend of famous actors slash actresses getting a career start in horror movies for example paul rudd in halloween 6 jennifer aniston in leprechaun johnny depp in nightmare on elm street i'm curious your thoughts on this trend if you've ever seen any of these odd pairings that if you had and if you have a favorite he she was in that movie moment Congrats on 100 episodes. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Andy. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for sending that in. Yeah. So I feel like you got a couple of good picks probably. Yeah, I think, I mean, in terms of the trend, I think it's just, it's to do with the budgets and the fact that, you know, um, the focus is more on the horror element than the people in it. You know, a lot of the people that I kind of, are aware of from horror movies come from slashes and i think it's just because they need so many people that are disposable <laughs> so they yeah. hire like young you know people that give the start that's why we see you know johnny depp in nightmare on elm street and stuff like that because it's not really a vehicle for any of the leading for any of the cast it's more yeah. for the franchise um but yeah i mean jamie lee curtis in halloween 
is always like the big one. I know that's the most obvious as well. That was like her breakthrough, kind of following in her mother's footsteps, which was really nice. And has gone on to have an amazing career. Um, the two that came to mind, especially around horror movies, the first is Kevin Bacon in Friday the 13th, mm. which is really cool. I mean, I think it was like his second on screen. Is movie. it the first one? It is from 1980, okay. yeah. Plays one of the camp counselors. Um, gets one of the best deaths as well. Spoiler, which is really good. I um, mean, gets like an arrow through the neck, <laughs> yeah. which is cool. Um, and then the second is Have you ever seen I Know What You Did Last Summer? The I like the 90s. Not. I know what you're yeah. talking about, but yeah. I always remember um, that, that cover mm-hmm. from the video store. Yeah, they're pretty. I mean, they're fine. They're pretty yeah. good. It's not, you know, it's not the worst movie ever made. I can remember watching them a lot when I was a kid. And in the second one, Jack Black's in it as like, uh. like a hippie guy with dreads. Because um, <laughs> they go to like this Caribbean island and they're stalked there. And he's like, just, he's working on the island. Yeah. Um, and he's like uncredited. He's not in the credits or anything. Um, and it was like 98. So just when he was starting to kind of break through. Yeah. But it's very, like, every time I watch it, I'm like, that's Jack Black. Yeah, there he is. I say like I watch it every week. I don't watch it every week. I watch it like pretty infrequently, but Jack Black's in it and he's got dreads and it's interesting. Yeah, um Jack Black is also in a deleted scene uh on True Romance. Oh nice. <laughs> yeah. He's like yeah. not even in the actual movie, but if you watch the deleted scenes, he like he like is one of the the guys who works at the cinema and he like yeah. is standing in the back and he's like, you can't really even see his face cause he's like yeah. silhouetted and he's, I mm-hmm. think he tells him to be quiet or something. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny. And that was even earlier, I think. Yeah. Like early nineties. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. Um, I, I haven't seen it, but I know Matthew McConaughey is in, like the Texas Chainsaw Next Generation or whatever. Mm. I don't know if you've seen that. I haven't seen it. He plays the killer in that one. Yeah. Okay. And it makes sense. Like it just makes it it was like one of his first roles, but it it's kind of funny that Yeah. I mean, I think Matthew McConaughey is kind of you think of Texas when you think of him. So it's funny yeah. that he's like one of his first things was a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Yeah. Um and then one that I think is always not necessarily funny, but just interesting is uh, Ryan. This isn't a horror movie, but Ryan Gosling and uh, Remember the Titans. Mm. <laughs> uh, um, he just, it's like a smaller role in that movie, yeah. but that I just remember seeing him when I was a kid going to see that movie because I feel like that was a huge movie when that yeah. came out. Um, that was also the first thing I saw Denzel Washington in, I think, as a kid. Oh, cool. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I just remember Ryan Gosling like really sticking out to me, I think, because yeah. I thought he was the kid from, like, the older brother from Old Yeller. Mm-hmm. I, I, they, they, at that age, like, they looked so much alike to me that I just thought that that was him. And I was like, how is he still yeah. young? <laughs> <laughs> I was so confused. I was like, is that movie not that old? 
って He's also in that same actor is in the Swiss Family Robinson. Um, so there's a couple of movies I've yeah. seen him in, but always thought that Ryan Gosling was that guy. I'm sorry, yeah. I can't remember his name, but you guys know who I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's my pick. The other weird one that just came to me is that the remake of Last House on the Left has Aaron Paul in it from Breaking Bad. Ah, and he plays like the kind of the weak one of the gang. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say too much because it's very explicit, but um, but that came out, I think, in 2009 and Breaking Bad was like 2008. Yeah. So he had kind of obviously booked that and filmed it before getting big on Breaking Bad. Yeah. And it, because I don't think he's like front and set, he's like seventh build or something like that. Yeah. So it's that weird film where it came out just as he was making it big. Yeah. And like if it had been, you know, a year later, he would have probably either not done it or been like top well, build. It was weird because I think Breaking Bad actually didn't really take off until season three or four because mm. they had, it didn't really, I mean, the people who had been watching it knew how good it was, but yeah. it didn't really go viral, I think, until they started putting it on Netflix, which they were already like three seasons in. And then yeah. it was just, that's the crazy thing about hearing about that show is like, three or four seasons in, they're still, like, just making a regular TV yeah. show. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, their fame hadn't, like, just skyrocketed yet. <laughs> um, but, yeah, another one is, like, Chris Hemsworth in uh, Cabin Cabin in the Woods. Because yeah. yeah. that, that movie, I, I can't remember what exactly happened with the production of it, but they, they didn't get released until a couple of years after they had filmed it, maybe even three years after. It just kind of was in limbo for a while. So he had filmed it before he had done Thor and stuff. Mm. And then uh, by the time it finally came out, he was already... I guess so. Yeah. yeah. So it was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and that movie did really well. But, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Cool stuff. Yeah. It's a good... Hunting ground for new and upcoming talent is horror movies. Yeah, exactly. Never know who's going to make it big. Goodwill hunting ground. <laughs> <laughs> so, thanks, Andy. Yeah. Um, what uh, what else have you been watching? Um, a couple of things. I'm. I've been going through. Quite a few, so I'm going to save them for like the upcoming weeks because I don't know. My, my film watching kind of goes all over the place. I don't know how often I get to kind of sit down and watch like a lot. Um, yeah. So these are from a few weeks ago, but I watched I Know Where I'm Going, which is a Powell and Pressburger film, um, okay. which seemed to be kind of the in filmmaking duo at the moment. Um, there's like a huge retrospective here in England at the BFI, and it's going out to like local cinemas as well, which is really cool. So it's one I've never seen, so I decided to go and see it um, from 1945. And it's just um, a story about a woman who's going to a remote island to get married. Um, and all through her life, she's been very steadfast that she knows exactly what she wants, and this is kind of it. Um, and she gets kind of held up in a in a house due to a storm and then meets somebody else. And, like, uh. you know, yeah. Um, yeah. I just love the worlds that, that Powell and Press. Burger create they just 
you just want to play in them. They're so yeah. like the sets are really cool, and like there's always a lot going on. It's not like I don't know minimalist. It's you know there's a lot to look at, um, and the characters are really interesting too. Um, like this, they had like an old castle that was like um, derelict and stuff, but there were quite a few scenes in there, and I was like, this is just really cool, um, and it's great. I mean, I think that everything that they did has something in there that's really interesting and it makes a lot of sense that they go on and do you know like the red shoes and yeah. tales of hoffman which are like these films based around ballet because it's like watching in a way it's not what what's said isn't important it's kind of like watching what they're doing yeah you know which kind of bleeds over from silent film which is why i like silent film so much is because everything has to be on the screen and they're very they're like a good gateway into that kind of stuff i think mm. So I really enjoyed it. I got it, gave it four out of five. I'm hoping that with a new, because it was a new restoration of the film, I'm hoping that there'll be some physical media, maybe on Criterion, that will follow pretty soon. That'll be quite nice. Yeah. Um, it's a good film. People should see it. Um, sure. And then I watched The Breakfast Club for the first time. I'd never seen it before. Um, first time ever. Wow. Yeah. Never seen it before. Not really was never really that interested in Chelsea was like, we've got to watch Breakfast Club. Um and it's really good. It's obviously of its time. You yeah. know, it's like it's there's a few things in there now that are a bit cringe worthy. Um like, you know, sexual harassment. <laughs> yeah. And uh and jokes around suicide and stuff like that. Um but yeah, I mean the characters are really good. I like that they're all a little bit, you know, different but not in like stereotypical ways. There's a lot of things in there that are kind of different to what you would expect. And for a film that's just five characters kind of sitting in a room talking, it just flies by. Mm-hmm. You know, the conversations are all really good. Um, and yeah, it was it's a good film. I'm surprised that I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, I'm looking forward to showing it to my daughter when she's like 15. Yeah, yeah. Because I think good... that that's like the perfect age to have watched it. Yeah, for sure. But Do you think that... Uh... I mean, like, sexual harassment and jokes around suicide, that's a pretty teenager-y thing anyway, though. Yeah, um, I think I, that the way that it's depicted... I mean, I didn't mind like, them. They flirt a lot with Molly Ringwald, but there's one scene where one of the characters is like, hiding under the table and he like, starts to put his face in between her legs. Yeah. And I was a bit like... At the time, I can imagine, you know, people laughing in the cinema, like, oh, he's so forward. And now it's like, oh, dear. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then the Brian at the end talks about like how he doesn't do very well and he had a, a gun in his locker. And, you know, we all know what schools and guns don't mix. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So no, at that like... point, that was, is a bit, you know, and they make a joke out of it. It's like, oh, but I bought a, a flare gun. I couldn't even get that right. And it was like, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. But it's like, oh, ugh. Yeah, you know, now like there's thinking like a, about guns in schools. Yeah, yeah, it's like an <laughs> epidemic now. But that's the, th- I mean, that's the thing. It's just like it's of its time. It's not trying to speak to me and my generation. Yeah, exactly. you know, I'm not the target audience anymore. But you got you got to just put it in the time period it's created and and, and appreciate it for that. Yeah, we can't censor him because that's not what the filmmakers intended. You know. Yeah. So. But we've had this conversation before about you just you just have to be aware of it. You don't have to dislike something because of what it's 
saying in the past. You just have to be aware that, hey, that's not in line with my views, but it doesn't shouldn't affect my, you know, outlook. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, cool. But that was it. There'll be a few more, obviously. There's more, but I want to we've talked for a while already, so Yeah. I don't want to hold up too much time. What have you been watching? Yeah, um, I watched a couple of things. I, I have watched more, but I, I'll probably save a few more for next week. But um, one was uh, Winter Light from 1963. Uh, Ingmar Bergman cool. movie, I believe. Um, yeah. It, I ended up watching it. Uh, well, I watched. I didn't watch it all the way through in one sitting because um, I, for some reason, I've been waking up like at four o'clock in the morning, and then it takes me a couple hours to go back to sleep. So sometimes I'll just be like, "I'm gonna start a movie." Yeah. So I started it one of those mornings, and then finished it later in the day. Uh, and it was good. I mean, I gave it three and a half yeah. out of five. I'm I'm sure it's much better than. Uh, I'm giving it credit for. Uh, it is a very uh, interesting film about a priest and him battling with like his faith and stuff. So right up your alley. Yeah. Um, I ended up watching it because uh, of a Reddit group um, called Homeschool Recovery that I mm-hmm. get on every once in a while. And it's a bunch of homeschool kids like talking about, well, it, it some of it is current homeschoolers and some of it is like people my age, you know, yeah. giving like I've encouragement to, to people because it's a lot of people just like struggling with like isolation and with, uh, you know, trying to yeah. get out in the world for the first time and, you know, just not knowing how to do much, not really yeah. having any life skills and. You know, so it's a lot of people venting and then a lot of people giving encouragement. Some of it is people telling them to call the police. <laughs> like, it's all kinds of stuff. Yeah. But uh, someone made a post like, hey, do you have any, like, movie, who has movie recommendations? Hey, um, to kind of, <laughs> yeah, to kind of, yeah. uh, to relate to. And this was one of, one, uh, one of the many that um, someone posted. Mm. uh and I was like, I was like, that that sounds interesting. Like, you know, because yeah. um, I've seen a few Bergman films and, you know, I hadn't seen yeah. this one. So mm. I was like, definitely going to check this out. Uh, it's got the same actor that's in The Seventh Seal, yes. uh, plays one of the characters. And um, anyway, I, I, I would like to watch it again, but it was, yeah. it was, uh, I think a lot of it just went over my head. Mm. For one, I I wasn't. I mean, I was watching half of it at four o'clock in the morning, and then yeah. <laughs> went back yeah. to it later in the day. But uh, didn't quite impact me as much as I was kind of hoping. So, because mm. I saw that you had seen it, and I'd kind of clicked on it because um, I, you know, I knew of it, and it is already on my watch list. So there must have mm. been a point in time where I had seen it and thought yep that sounds like something i want to watch and then yeah exactly not go around to it yet so yeah yeah i'll have to find the time because that does sound exactly what i like from cinema yeah and it you know it always like it always depends on what mood i'm in too because like sometimes yeah. 
because it's definitely more of a character study and it's not exactly uh you know a person to look up to i think so yeah you know i don't know sometimes like <laughs> that's what i want and sometimes i just want yeah. like some hope yeah <laughs> i know what you mean yeah so, goes uh, back to chelsea's like uh, what do we come out of when we came out of one film and she was like oh that was depressing i bet you loved it <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's probably killers of the flower moon it might have been killers of the flower moon <laughs> yeah it might have been because it was something quite recently yeah um <laughs> And then I also went and saw the creator from this year. Uh, Sweet. The new Gareth Edwards film. Yeah. That's his name, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he did Rogue One, uh, amongst other things. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I'm glad I went to see it because I, it, I don't know. It is still difficult to get to cinemas to see things, and the film hadn't been doing that well, so... Um, definitely one of the most beautifully and interestingly shot films of the year. Yeah. Um, it was shot on a Sony FX3, which is kind of the go-to, one of the go-to low-budget cameras right now. Um, Mm. I've been wanting to get one since it came out. It's only like, I think it's like a $4,000 camera. Um, but it and it's super compact like it looks like a just a point and shoot camera but it's like you know has all of these features that uh you don't normally get in a camera that small uh for one thing it shoots really really low light Mm. um it's got a very sensitive sensor in terms of being able to capture things just at night with like a street light you know and that's yeah Yeah. Um, So that's super cool. Um, I think it's the same cinematographer that shot Batman, the new the Batman movie, uh, Mm -hmm. with Robert Pattinson, um, which uh, Roger Deakins last year was like that was the best shot film of the year in my opinion was the Batman. Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely worth it to go see it just for its looks. Yeah. Um I mean it is an original film, you know. Okay. Yeah. Which we don't get a lot of. No. No. I mean, exactly, ter- yeah. Especially like big budget sci fi action movies mm. that's an original that's not already based on like an established <laughs> franchise or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um it's got John Hopkins. Yeah. John David Washington is is really good in it. Everybody's really good in it. Um yeah. But I I like John David Washington and everything. It seems like he's his career hasn't really I mean he's he's working obviously, but yeah. you know, he hasn't had any big hitters since his first thing which was Black Klansman, I think. Yeah. Um I mean he but he's been working with amazing people. Yeah. You know, yeah. and uh I mean he worked with Nolan and and stuff already. So mm. um but uh yeah the you know the reason is 3.5 out of 5 I think is just because it is a little tropey. You know, yeah. it it's yeah. like even though it's original and creative and inventive and and stuff it still has like this ending that's 
very similar to a lot of other sci-fi action movies. And, you know, I just, it's like, I don't, if I'm going to see an original, I don't need all of those things. But at the same time, um, you know, maybe that's what he had to do to sell the movie. Yeah. To get the movie made was like to convince the studio that that was what was going to sell the movie. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be, but it's that I, I don't want to discourage people from going to see it. It's definitely yeah. a good time. I'm, yeah. I'm probably going to watch it again. Nice. Um, yeah, it, it, it's got a lot of really fun, cool things in it. Um, and it's probably more of like, like if I was like 15, 16, when I saw this, I would like love it. You know what I mean? I think it's just as I'm getting older, I just want, I just don't need the, the hero's journey anymore as much. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, the creator, go see it. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I'm really convincing you guys. I've been I have been really tempted by it. I must yeah. admit, I keep saying it kind of instant. I think it's probably like on its last week or whatever now. Um but hey if there's a showing I might try and get to it. Yeah. Um Cool. Well, you ready for the next thing? I'm ready. Alright, y'all. It is time for our feature presentation. Killers of the Flower Moon, 2023. When oil is discovered in 1920s Oklahoma under Osage Nation land, the Osage people are murdered one by one until the FBI steps in to unravel the mystery. Um, yeah, that's the that's what the movie's about. Um, yeah, it's not much of a mystery. No, <laughs> but you know, well, there's some elements to it. I think yeah. you know, there's some time. There's some part of like we'll let the audience connect the dots. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Because there's a lot of a lot of things not being said in mm-hmm. the film. There's mm-hmm. a lot of uh, dialogue with like double meaning, which yes. is cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. But, yeah, what was your expectation going into this film? Um, like, obviously, I'm sure you've been anticipating it as much as I have throughout the year. Yes. Yeah. So. I mean, I think this has been the one I've been looking forward to the most, maybe this year, in terms of film. I mean, any Scorsese film ever is a cause for celebration. And this year we have been blessed. I mean, not only have we had, like, this in the cinema, but Criterion have been... They put out After Hours on 4K and Mean Streets is coming soon on 4K as well. It's just like, yes, please, yeah. more of this. You know, more, more, more. Um, we, I think we've talked about him quite a lot. I mean, in relation to Joanna Hogg, I think we mentioned him quite a bit because yeah. of his like collaboration with, with her and stuff. Um, this He is the old guard that's still 
making masterpiece after masterpiece. Yeah. You know, and I don't want I don't want to kind of lump him all in together. I mean, Spielberg is wonderful, and I think that Fablemans was my film, you know, one of my films of last year. But he is a bit hit and miss. There's some things that don't work. Whereas I think for Scorsese, it's been like hit after hit. Yeah. You know, there's not there's not many weak links in his filmography. I, even Silence, which wasn't that wildly seen or enjoyed, I don't think, is very, very like moving and poignant and kind of, you know, when you look at him as a director, it's you know, it works in his filmography. Yeah. Um but yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon was was the one I was looking forward to. And I think it helps that DiCaprio and De Niro are in it as well. Mm. Because, you know, just seeing him work with two of the best actors of our, you know, ever. Yeah. <laughs> it's always another cause for celebration. Um did you get were you kind of like looking out for tickets too? Like were you kind of No, I mean I wasn't exactly I was I was highly anticipating the movie, but um Yeah. Yeah, I just I just hadn't you know it was kind of more in the back of my mind, like I can't wait till this comes out. And then before I knew it, it was like, oh, like tickets are already being sold. So I didn't get tickets yeah. until like maybe the Monday or Tuesday before it was released. Yeah. Um, and then got tickets for Friday night. But yeah, I mean, I was, um, you know, I was still, I was very determined to like, okay, I, I need to go see this like opening day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was pretty excited about it, and I, I, you know, made sure to text everybody who wanted to go, and you know, uh, I was planning on going either way, so I was like, I'm going, so who yeah. wants to go, kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, and then I got tickets and stuff, and then um, I might have even have gone. No, I, I think it was a Friday. I'm trying to even remember what day it was. It was either Thursday or Friday. But uh, anyway, I was pretty excited, and Sarah was like, so what's the movie about? And I was like, genocide? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I was kind of this weird thing of being like, you know, even before I saw the movie, I was like, why am I so excited to go see a movie about genocide right now? (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, yeah, and then it's like, you know, I go and see the movie, and it's very dense, very long, very, um, you know, not exactly. I mean, it was what I was expecting, but also not exactly. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a lot, which is good, I think, because it's making me think a lot more about it. Um, because other films of Scorsese's, you know, he does have, he does kind of, I think, go back and forth sometimes between, yeah. I mean, even his action movies and more like high paced films, you know, they're poignant. Yeah. But there's also kind of this like just entertainment part of them, mm-hmm. you know, just good entertainment, you know. Um, yeah. Obviously, they're, they, they do deal, a lot of his films deal with, um, morality and um bad people you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um immoral characters or uh you know just people with 
bad intentions. Um, yeah. You know, good fellas. You know, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a entertaining, fun movie to watch, but it's about some terrible people. Yeah. Um, Wolf of Wall Street. You know, it's about some terrible people, but you know, it it's very entertaining the entire time. Yeah, uh, to watch and unfold. Killers of the Fire Moon is like it's it's just gets deeper and deeper into this like sorrow and sadness yeah. and uncomfortable um existence yeah. of these people. And uh it's got elements of I just I just kept as the movie went on I just like kept getting more and more annoyed I guess is maybe the best way to put it with uh Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio the performances are great but just in terms yeah. of their characters I was just like I'm just ready for these guys to meet their demise like yeah, <laughs> yeah. um especially when it got to the scene you know, where they're finally interrogating DiCaprio and there's these yeah. long scenes of him talking with them and the acting is good, but it's like, I, I think in anything else I would have been, like normally I enjoy that stuff. Like I, I enjoy when actors get weird and go over the top. Mm. But at this point I was just like, can we just watch like a, something like why do we need this long scene with Leonardo DiCaprio mm. just like you know acting I don't know it, it didn't to me it didn't feel like it was benefiting the story mm. which I'm sure I think it was probably but I'm just kind of giving you my experience of watching it the yeah. first time yeah um and then and then so leaving the the theater you know I was I wasn't sure quite what to make of the movie because I felt like, okay, well, I felt like we needed more of Lily Gladstone. Yeah. You know, that's just how I felt leaving, but I think that's intentional. Mm. You know, I think that um, you're supposed to leave wanting more for her. Yeah. You know, for the character of Molly. Like Yeah. Um so I've been I'll I'll look up this uh somebody wrote something about the film that I thought put it in a completely different perspective for me. Um cuz I think I guess that what I'm saying is like leaving the theater I'm like why was Leonardo DiCaprio's character the main character mm. and not Molly? Well, I mean, there's there's things I've read about it, you know, before and after. And Scott says he said that he the original script was more focused on the white characters, and he had to rewrite it to incorporate the the Osage the Osage the Osage people know, Osage people's view on it, you know. Yeah. And I don't think I I mean I came out of it um, with that in mind, thinking I still feel like we were watching it through. A, a white man's eyes not in like it wasn't like 
I don't want that to sound like we were rooting for them, but right. the focus was on their characters. And yeah, I don't exactly. know whether that's because of the bankable stars that are playing those characters, or if that's just because Scorsese has worked with them before and he can like, you know, that's his view. You know, yeah, and that's who he can he can get something yeah. out of. Yeah. I think I think it's made maybe a little bit of that, but but yeah, they I mean the the book apparently was is highly focused on um the Jesse Plemons character, the FBI yeah. agent Tom White, who the the perspective is from his perspective, I think, and like yeah. you know, uncovering the mystery and it's kind of like an FBI procedural. Yeah. Yeah, because he could have been the knight in shining armor. Yeah. Riding in to solve the case. And that's actually and I, what the script was before, and that's the character yeah. that Leonardo DiCaprio was going to play. Mm. And then um, Scorsese had been spending time with descendants of um, the Burkharts and uh, Osage, the Osage people, and mm. one of the, I guess, granddaughters or descendants of um, the Burkharts was like, remember, like she told him. I get this is you know I'm paraphrasing from yeah. watching an yeah. interview with Scorsese. Uh, basically said like, just remember that uh, Ernest and Molly were in love. Um, and that kind of stuck with them, and then DiCaprio was struggling with like trying to figure out the character and trying to figure out the movie, and came to Scorsese and was like, well, where's the heart of the movie? Yeah. And Scorsese was like, "Well, it's the, it's the love between Ernest and Molly." And he's like, "Okay, well, maybe I should play Ernest." And yeah. so they just like flipped the script upside down and changed it completely yeah. to not be about uncovering the mystery or whatever. It's like, yeah, completely different story that focuses more on them. And also, just like hearing, like listening to more of the interview, it's like it's interesting. What something that Scorsese says is like in the film love is used as a weapon and yeah. i think that is um i think that is like the part of of uh the story that is hard to reconcile with is that is knowing that love can be used as a weapon i mean i think yeah. that's something that we as humans know but it's potentially one of the hardest things to admit mm -hmm. and to accept and to uh, navigate. Yeah. Because I'm sure, I mean, most people have experienced some kind of betrayal, you know, yeah. by someone that they love, you know, whether it be, and I'm not even talking about even just sexual love, like someone cheating on you, but it could be like... um you know, having a best friend that you care a lot about that doesn't seem to feel the same way or I don't know, just like, you know, yeah. lots of people, yeah. I mean, you know, there's business betrayals, there's, you know, there's all kinds of stuff, but like, um, you know, there's Molly calls Ernest throughout the movie. She calls him a coyote 
And that's like her mm-hmm. nickname for him. And I think that that could, I mean, uh, I've definitely met coyotes, you know what I mean? Like you've met, yeah. you've met people who, who use their charm and um, love to manipulate other people yeah. into doing what they want. Um, but it's potentially like a, a trait that's in all of us, you yeah. know, that, uh, that we could, you know, we potentially have the, the, the power to do the same thing. Um, whether we want to admit it or not, it just depends on if that's the path we take or whatever. Yeah. Um, this tweet, uh, from Kyle, Alex, Brett, I don't know who this person is. I just saw this tweet randomly through discussions on Twitter. Um, it's at K-Y-A-L-B-R. Uh, said, if you told killers from the Osage perspective, the non-Osage audience would directly identify with them. By keeping Burkhart as the protagonist, Scorsese, Scorsese prevents this. When using the old Cowboys versus Indian structure, Scorsese indicts us to us to show who the actual savages are. Um, so that kind of put it in a different perspective for me because I was like, oh, well, yeah, of course, like, especially in today's age where I think there's a lot of white people who want to be on the good side of history and want yeah. to to be supportive of indigenous people and um, Black Lives Matter and, uh, you know, say that they want, um, they don't want this history to be erased and they want the, you know, to reconcile with their past, with our past yeah. as a nation. But, I, you know, I think feel like that only goes so far sometimes, you know, because at the same time, they don't want to be the bad guy, you yeah. know, and I think this movie, at least watching it as a white person, makes you the bad guy. And it makes you go, Ugh, like, this is, this is where we came from. And I especially yeah. was thinking about this because, like, my... I have family from Oklahoma. Like, like one side of my entire family is all from Oklahoma. The other side is from Louisiana. And then that's how, I mean, Texas is just right in between the two, right? So that's like where I'm from is from Texas. But um, one side of my entire family is all from Oklahoma. And I still have distant relatives there and stuff. And um, a lot of... I've heard, you know, I don't, you know, I haven't done my own research, but I've heard through my life that like we have um, indigenous people in our bloodline, um, and it's always kind of talked about as like a a point of pride or like, you know, that you know, there's like I don't know something more spiritual about us or something because yeah. of that. 
but um, I think that should be looked at more of. Uh, I don't want to. I was gonna say shame, but I just shouldn't say shame. But we should. I don't know. It's like it, this movie had me thinking. Well, like there's probably some a lot of ugliness in that ancestral past. Mm. You know, it might not be. Yeah. I don't know. It's like nobody in my family looks indigenous. So it's like, is that even true? Or did we rape a bunch of people and murder a bunch of people, you know? Yeah. So it's just got me. There's just a lot to think about, I think, in terms mm. of um, the perspective of this country. Not only yeah. of like just family and and whatever, but the film also, I think, represents America yeah. in a lot of ways. And you know, what does it mean to be to be proud to be an American? You know, what I mean, should you really be proud because? It's a country of murder and genocide and slavery. Like, that's what it was built on, you know? So, yeah, I think this is a very, very important film. And there's a reason that, you know, that feeling of sorrow and disgust just builds and builds and builds yeah. to the end. Um and there is a little bit of hope at the end, you know, not necessarily for Molly, um, but for the the indigenous people that are yeah still out there and the Osage that are still out there and the next generation of of people mm. that are still here, you know. Yeah. See, I think the ending is very. Is mixed for me. I don't. Um, I feel like at the end of the movie, we get told kind of what happens to these characters through like a radio broadcast, you know, which is ingenious. It's it, you know, I was while I was watching it, I was like, I'm kind of looking forward to the end where we get the text and the picture of the real person, yeah. just to see how they ended up because I love like ends of stories, you know, and the fact that that didn't go that route. Um, is just another, you know, huge thumbs up. Um, and remind me after I finish this point to come back to that because there's something else that I want to um, touch upon about the ending. Um, but I mean, they are hardly in prison at all. They both yeah. get released after, you know, what, five, six years. Both have lives after it. It doesn't seem to affect them that much. Whereas um, Molly, you know, her diabetes kills her what, like, seven years after this? Six, yeah. seven years after this? Like, not long at all. And I know that as a, you know, religious, someone that has made a lot of films about religion, you know, we're all equal under the eye of God. It's kind of, to me, the feeling I got at the end was, you know, even in death, we're not equal. You know, that nobody, like, they didn't get what they deserved. 
Yeah. Is what I'm saying. This person has been through so much pain, lost so many people, still leaves this earth before the others in, you know, in pain. And it's very, it was, I don't know whether that's just because I wanted her to, you know, live happy, happily ever after. And you don't feel like you did and the others did, you know? Yeah. I don't know. And I don't know. I mean, she, she, she did marry again, Molly. So I assume that the remaining years were, you know, happy and better <laughs> would have been much worse, but better than they would have been with Ernest. But, you know, um, yeah, it felt very damning as a whole. You yeah. Know, the question of what, <laughs> you know, with this one nation under God, we're not, you know, this isn't, this isn't correct at all. Yeah. Um, well, it said, do they mention, I think that she was able to get all of her, her rights back as far as like the land and the, her wealth and stuff, I think. Yeah. I assume that she would cause it's all in her name. Yeah. You know, which is great, obviously, you know, but the amount that she had to do to gain that is unlike what any white person depicted in the film had to do. You have to lose family members and. You know, basically go to the go to the pearly gates and back. Yeah, um, ridiculous. But I think <clears throat> the point I wanted to make earlier about the ending is when Scorsese comes out and does the monologue at the end and kind of closes the film. It reminded me of Schindler's List mm. when at the end of Schindler's List, Spielberg does. I actually like... haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, so you're about it, to spoil it. But... It might be a bit spoilery. It's not related to the plot. Yeah. I'll say that. So okay. at the end, they're at a um, like a memorial, and it's Spielberg and the cast, and they have um, Holocaust survivors, potentially the people that Schindler saved. I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they kind of come and pay respect to Schindler's grave. I think it's been a while since I've seen it. It might be just it might be like a memorial yeah. as opposed to Schindler's grave, but it's something. But it's like the film kind of bleeds into this real-life image of them doing it. And that's what it reminded me of. And I think it was supposed to because, you know, the Holocaust was a genocide. It was, you know, picking off, a, a you know, a group of people and making them the scapegoat. And this was exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that that parallel works really well. And you kind of, even though it's on... A smaller scale than the Holocaust, it's you know it's still the same, and we yeah. always talk about like the atrocities of it, which it is. That made it sound like I wasn't believing it. It, it you know it's about it's awful, but we don't ever mention this, and yeah. we should. Yeah. You know this is what we should be talking about it. Yeah. Um. The other point that you brought up that I want to mention is obviously the the length of the film. I've seen a few. People, you know, talk about it as if it's it has been made for like TV in terms of you can kind of you know you can come and pause it and right. watch a bit. It's not made for the cinematic experience. And I want to get your opinion on it because I disagree. Yeah, of course I disagree. I think yeah. um, if you can't sit in a movie theater and watch this, then why are you watching it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, but uh, the thing I think about when I watch is what would I cut? Yeah, if I exactly. Thought, if this film was too long, what would I cut? 
And yeah. at the end of it, there was not, I couldn't think of like anything that I'd be like, I'd be happy to lose that. Everything yeah. I feel like delivered something to one of the characters or to the story or just to the feeling of it. Yeah. You know, there's, Scorsese is really good at taking us in with different characters, you know, and kind of we spend some time with them and then we go back. Um, but it just adds to the tapestry of it. It's all, if it was just, I mean, Leonardo is pretty much on screen every minute. Yeah. But if it was, you know, just him, you'd kind of, it wouldn't be the same. I like that we follow some of the, um, some of the other people that he comes in contact with, some of the seedy underbelly and stuff like that. It's interesting. It, it adds to the film. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. I didn't have any problem with the runtime. I'm happily going to see it in the cinema again. I'm not, you know, yeah. opposed to it at all. And, yeah. I think, I mean, the one scene where I was like getting really annoyed was the interrogation. And yeah. I was just, I think I was just sick of the character. But I think that's, yeah. you know, you're supposed that's to, yeah, a part of the feel. experience, you know. Think yeah. about why. Well, and... I feel like I really, yeah, the, the interrogation scenes were kind of nail-biting because you were like, will someone please just go and check on Molly? Like, yeah. just, uh -huh. I just need, you know, I want to know that she's okay because she's pretty much on death's door when he gets arrested. Uh-huh. And he just leaves, and then it's maybe 30 minutes and we don't see her for a while, and... I was just like, I just need to, you know, as a viewer, I'm so invested. I just need to know that she's okay, <laughs> yeah, know, that she's fine. So, um, yeah, I think it is meant to make you kind of frustrated that, you know, he's being interrogated and stuff. That he's that would stay in on that scene. Yeah. Did uh, what? How was the theater full when you went? Like, was it? It wasn't packed. There was yeah. quite. A f there was more in than normal. I would say mm -hmm. we've been. Going quite regularly. I mean, we've been going to see a lot of kids' films recently because my daughter's out of school, but yeah, um, it's never full. And it was more... The only other film that I've been to see where it was kind of as full was Oppenheimer. Okay. So, I mean, but this was opening night. So I'd yeah. expect, I, would, I was hoping it was going to be sold out, but there was no way. What, uh, what was the audience's reaction? Like, what was the vibe in there? So <laughs> English audiences are very different to American audiences. Okay. We're very, they're very quiet. <laughs> gotcha. So, so nothing. Yeah. So it was very kind of like bland yeah. and like just silence. And then the, the, the lights came up and people kind of just got up and left. Yeah. Um, which I would say is probably part of the film, but I just know it's the English audience. There's not, you know, much clapping or whooping, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, not that you would clap and whoop in this film, but um, no. yeah, it was very subdued. And I think it is a very American story. For sure. Yeah. Um, not that as someone that's kind of lived in America for the last eight years, there's a lot of things in there that, you know, you really worry about. I mean, not to keep bringing Trump into it, but I think with the Trump presidency, you started to see people that were really close to you in a different light. And this is kind of the same, like, you know, mm. can you find the wolves in this picture? Like, who did, like, who is, like, hiding their true colors? Yeah. And it's that kind of vibe, you know, that kind of thing that I really, like, held on to is you just really don't know what anyone is doing. You know, there's just unrest in the whole thing. You're not, as soon as you start to know that people are being killed, all of them look like suspects. You know, yeah. none of them seem 
believable or like a good person. Like even the husband, um, that is it. Oh, I don't know who plays him, but he marries one sister and then she dies and then he marries another. You know, even him, there's a point where you're like, oh, he's twigged, he's gone to it, and then he's still like beating his wives up. Mm. You know, there's still no one is like good. Yeah. Person, apart from probably Jesse Plemons. Yeah. Yeah. Which I was waiting so long <laughs> to see Jesse Plemons. Yeah. I was like, when are we going to see the man? <laughs> the legend. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. Do you know who's not awesome in this film? No. Brendan Fraser. You didn't like him? No. Really? Yeah. I feel, I feel like he comes in like, I know that he's supposed to be like this big lawyer, yeah. but it's like everyone else is playing in a very like high suspense kind of film. And he's just like a stage actor trying to get his voice to carry to the backseat. <sighs> he just comes out and he's like, <clears throat> I want an object. And it's like, who, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it means making his presence known. <laughs> I guess. I, I think it doesn't help that John Lithgow is like the defense attorney or the prosecutor. I guess it's the prosecutor. And he's so good at being like quiet. Yeah. And, you know, and you know, he know, can be commanding. Loud. Yes, exactly. And commanding. He's so, and then like Brendan Fraser comes in and he's like, oh, no, turn it down. <laughs> stupid boy yes uh, yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. and I was like nope not feeling that <laughs> I didn't mind it I thought it was yeah interesting Yeah, it's like, I, I hesitate to man. use the word funny because <clears throat> I feel like you can't really laugh in this movie no but that yeah. was one thing I was going to say is like in the theater I was in it was also not packed but the last like hour to th 30 minutes to an hour of the movie, there was a lady in the back just like cracking up the whole time. And I was like, oh. what are you laughing at lady? Yeah. And yeah. I think it's, I mean, she was laughing at like the ridiculousness of the characters, which mm -hmm. I get to some degree, but it's like in the context of this movie, I don't think. No, we're not supposed to be laughing at them. Yeah. There's, there's lots of, um, there's lots of movies like that where the characters are just buffoons and they're being mm. stupid, but then, yeah. but like what they're being stupid about is murdering all these people. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. There's complexities to it. I don't, you know, he's DiCaprio's Ernest is not like a, you know, stumbling, can't put clothes on properly, you know, hick. He's, he is complicit to it. He's not being controlled. But just how much he knows that he's doing is kind of like is teased to us. Yeah, you know, there's the big question at the end of like, did you know you were poisoning me? And he takes like a long time to answer, and he says no. And you, at the time, you're like, oh, he's lying. But the more you think about it, the more you're like, is he just processing what he's heard? Like, is he just like, I didn't even know you were being poisoned. You know, where would that uh, would it have been the injections? No, I didn't know. You know, there's yeah. so much to it that is left unsaid, you know, and that spurs podcasts like this where we have to talk about it. We have to kind of, you know, look at it from different directions. And that's why Scorsese is the king. He does it so easily. It's effortless. Yeah. I the, mean, the way that King 
describes it to him when he's like, you got to add this to her, to her medicine. He's like, it's just going to slow her down, you know? And yeah, like, yeah, slow her down. All right. Yeah. You know, but does he think that, does he that think would... that's true or? Yeah. Is he like literally thinking that the injections are helping and that that will just like calm her down? You know, I, there's so much complexity to it. There's, and I think that's what's beautiful is that so we're so used to doing films of people doing things because they have a reason. Whereas in life, people do things all the time for no reason. And it's not like I'm doing this because X, Y, and Z happened. You know, and this film is kind of similar to it. There's no... I mean, there is a reason why they're killing, um, killing them off. But it's like for Ernest, it's like, is he... Is he doing it just to get the money, or is he like doing two things at once? Does he really love Molly, but he's also helping to kill her? You know, we don't get the answer. Yeah, which is which I like. I like you know ambiguity, but having the clues there. Not that what the hell was that, <laughs> but yeah. more like everything's there. We've just got to make our own assumption. And like you said, if the if the reason for Scorsese making this film is because Molly and Ernest loved each other, then you have to side on the, you know, that he wasn't, he didn't know he was killing her. Mm, yeah. Right. You know, that's what you would think. Yeah. Because most of the trial is around the deaths that happened. It's not around Molly's illness. So we don't get any exposition for that. We just know that he was making sure that her sisters were killed. Yeah. So. Yeah, and we never we never know what he is actually putting in her uh, yeah. thing either. Yeah, who knows? Because we know that... I mean, that's the other thing. We see the doctors, you know, how terrible that they are yeah. about, like, you know, reporting things and stuff. So it's like, is were, were they just under King's control doing it and Ernest didn't know what was in it? You know, or are we just thinking that because Ernest is a white man and that's who we associate with and we're trying to see him is like, you know, a scapegoat as opposed to a villain. Yeah. I don't know. Or is he just stupid? Yeah. Is he just an idiot? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, it's an incredible movie. And I think that if you go into it with an open mind and really kind of just let it wash over you, you're going to get so much out of it. Yeah. It's not just a, it's not a sit back, relax, switch off film. It's a very kind of you need to keep your wits about you. But I mean, we, that these are the films that we live for, you know. Yeah. These are the films that you go to the cinema for to be questioned and have uncomfortable moments where you're like, who am I associating myself with right now? Yeah, like who in these characters do I see myself in? You know, and it's not a nice answer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whew, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I mean, especially someone that loves, you know, classic cinema and classic Hollywood as much as Scorsese to to make a film like this when every Western, you know, ever made, the the natives, the you know, the Native Americans are the enemy. You know, you think of The Searchers, yeah. mm -hmm. one of the greatest Westerns of all time, and John Wayne hates them so much. He is literally 
like shooting them in the like shooting their eyes out so they have to wander for eternity without making it to heaven you know he hates them so much um and that's kind of the that's the picture that's always been painted for us through films yeah you know is that they're the enemy and they're definitely not exactly <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and this it's, is such it's an... so crazy. Well, yeah. it's crazy. I mean, it. I mean, it, that's also a perfect illustration of us as American white people mm. being, uh, being earnest, being complicit mm. the entire time because we also got brainwashed. Yeah, throughout history, and being yeah. told that. Cowboys versus Indians, you know, yeah, and that exactly. these people yeah. were savages and um and yeah, and that we didn't just come over here and kill everyone and take their land and give them diseases and commit genocide, mass mm -hmm. genocide, yeah. an entire continent of people. Yeah. You know. Hmm. And up until now it's a story that isn't readily being told you know it's not something that other films that i can think of off the top of my head really deal with i mean yeah you know well no one wants to talk about it either no no you know and the fact that scorsese like th this film i don't know if it would have worked if scorsese wasn't behind it you know like because yeah. because he has he's got a lot of bro followers too he does, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, who maybe wouldn't consider these questions without mm -hmm. him making it himself. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Super. Uh, it's just gonna be thinking about it a lot, and um. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I think that it's for me. It was more immediate than the Irishman. I did really like the Irishman, um, and thought it was just such a you know again a staggering piece of cinema. But I came out of this and I was just like, wow, you know that's not only taught me something that I didn't know, but it's made me want to know more and kind of you know see, like just know more about what happened and who these people were and. And what we could do to better it, you know, how can we improve and get better and yeah, stuff like that. So it's not easy. Yep. Well, did you uh, did you see Foggy? <laughs> no, I didn't see Foggy. Eldon Henson, he's in like. He doesn't have he doesn't have any speaking lines. He's just like okay. one of the husbands in the background okay. in like a couple of shots. Yeah. Like, oh it's foggy. Yeah. Um <laughs> I, I, I feel like I mean he's a he's a working actor, you know, he's been around for yeah. thirty plus years. It's just I think Scorsese is just such a I mean it's Scorsese. Like yeah, even if you had a leading role, even if you were a leading man, yeah, I would be like, yeah, I want to be in the background, please. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, whatever, I'll just do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and then I mean, <sighs> Lily Gladstone is awesome. Yes, yes, she is. I don't think we've we've spoken about her enough. Um, I mean, it's just a joy whenever she's on the screen. You know, she's so I don't know calm and commanding at the same time. You know, there's this phonetic energy around Leonardo DiCaprio's Ernest. He's always kind of a little bit like you know guffawing and he's a bit goofy. Yeah, and she's just so calm. And, you know, matter of fact, and when she cries, it, you know, breaks us as the audience. Yeah. And she, yeah, she just has so much emotion. Yeah. In her, her subtle expressions, you know, saying so much with the subtleties. Whereas DiCaprio yeah. is like, you know, the opposite. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, he's saying... Not that he's saying nothing. He's saying a lot too, but he's very much more uh, expressive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And apparently that the laugh, like when that one of the first scenes when he's driving her and he's. Um, yeah. I don't know what you said, must but it be- must have been na- native uh- Handsome devil. Yeah, 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 that was like improv, and that laugh was like genuine, <laughs> and that that kind of yeah was early on in the shoot, so it kind of helped to start building. The bottom, yeah, yeah, they're. I know they did a lot of work around, like it was just kind of Scorsese, DiCaprio, and Gladstone kind of working together on the relationship a lot. Um, and <laughs> I, I've read something that um, De Niro said that. Leonardo kept kind of trying to improvise in scenes. And there was a point where they were just like, just stop. <laughs> just read it as it is on the page. <laughs> it just doesn't get any better. Say yeah. your lines, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen this boy's life? I haven't. Me either. <laughs> the end. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was their first time working together. Apparently, when DiCaprio was a little boy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and De Niro was the one that was like, "You should work with this kid named DiCaprio, Scorsese, <laughs> Mister Scorsese." <laughs> no, nah, he didn't call him Mister Scorsese. He calls him yeah, Marty. Marty, yeah. <laughs> uh, to be and on Marty first calls terms. Marty calls him Bob. Bob, yeah. Well, um, until the next time we talk about this movie, probably mm. this might be one we come back to. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure you rated this five out of five. Yes, and I'm pretty sure you rated this four and a half out of five. Because <laughs> you saw my letterbox. Yeah, we saw each other's letterbox. Yeah. 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 So dirty. <laughs> <laughs> the least climactic <laughs> end to an episode ever. Um, I feel like I should give it five out of five, but I'm going to watch it again. Yeah. So. I mean, I think sometimes it does take time, doesn't it, to let these films kind of hit. Yeah. You know. Definitely. Um, yeah, I want to... I think that it, with it coming to streaming, you know, a lot more people are going to see it and kind of see it again and again and again. But I really want to try and see it in the cinema one more time before it does just to be kind of engrossed in it. Yeah. You know, that's the plan. 
Cool. Well, what uh, what do you want to watch next week, next Sunday? Yeah, next Sunday. I wanted to pick this earlier, um, but with us doing the Danish Horror Month, it didn't really fit, and I didn't want to, you know, kind of break away from what we were doing. Um, but with the passing of William Friedkin, the director of The Exorcist, I wanted to. I've you know been reading a lot and listening a lot about him. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the the lot of what people are talking about is kind of not The Exorcist. Um, and I've they've been mentioning one film quite a lot, which I've picked, and that is Sorcerer from 1977, um, directed by William Friedkin, and that is what we're going to be watching for next week. Sweet. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. yeah. That was after The Exorcist. Um, I don't know. Cool. Tune in next week to find yeah, out. Yeah, we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I've seen. Um, another film of his recently because my sister found it on VHS. Oh, nice. Um, gosh, what is it? The Night They Raided Minsky's. Okay, cool. From I don't think I've ever heard of that. 1968. It's pretty, pretty great. Yeah. Sweet. Cool. Looking forward to awesome. it. Yeah, that'll be next week. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the end of the show. Um, keep the conversation going by finding us on Twitter, Instagram, uh, at Phil, Film Church Radio. You can also follow us individually on our Letterboxd accounts. I'm at Somascope. Lewis is at Walker Lewis 3007. And Martin Scorsese is at M Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you gave him a follow. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, we've also we also have all of our back episodes streaming all 101 on all good pod podcast platforms. Please leave us a rating and review so we know if you liked the film. And if you didn't, what the heck do you want us to watch? <laughs> uh, thank you for being here. Uh, we hope to see you next Sunday for more Film Church Radio. The only thing left to say is... This is supposed to be a suicide. You dumb bell. You didn't tell him to leave the gun? I don't know why. I told him to leave the gun. I told him. Told him to leave the gun. Just like you told me, King. I don't know why he didn't. I don't know why. I told him just like you told me. You told him to do it in the front of the head. Then why did he do it in the back of the head? It's so simple. The front is the front. The back is the back. Uh, the back is the back. The front is the front. Um, this is the back of the episode. <laughs> that's right. Barbie's back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll see you next Sunday. Amen. Amen. Oh, <laughs>